chose it because as I look back on this, even the century of ministry that's taken place in this building, never mind the 208 years that the church has known, I notice uh, two things, two things that are vital to the, the health and the life of any local church. On the one hand, faithful pastors who heed the solemn charge that is contained within this passage, and on the other hand, faithful listeners who want to hear this word preached. And I want to walk through this passage tonight uh, to illustrate from our history, and having looked back with gratitude, recognize the things that we must do as a church family to keep expository preaching central as we move into a new building and a new phase of ministry. So let's read together from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared, in season and out of season. Correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths but you keep your head in all situations Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Amen. This is God's word. So as we walk through this passage tonight, I want you to notice two things with me. Two things that please God. Uh, Two things that by his grace we've seen in a century of ministry in this building. One, the preachers gave God the microphone. And two, the people gave God their ears. First of all, the preachers gave God the microphone. So Paul is writing to Timothy, pastor of the church in Ephesus. Paul planted this church and had handed on the reins to young Timothy, but Timothy was struggling with some aspects in the, if you like, in the pressures of ministry. So Paul writes to him to try and steal him for the task by telling him and reminding him what his priorities ought to be. And there's one thing that must be kept central. And we see what it is in verse 2. What is Timothy to do? Look with me, verse 2. Well, he's to preach. To preach. To preach is to cry out. It's to herald. It's not just the transfer of information. It's an appeal to the heart, to the mind, to the will, to believe what is declared and to move you to put it into practice. That's what Timothy's to do, to declare something. And, but good news is Timothy is not left to come up with the content of this preaching on his own. Paul continues, he's to preach the word. Now when Paul refers to the word in this context, he means the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And especially the good news of Jesus' death and his resurrection. That doesn't mean that Timothy is only going to preach on the cross and the resurrection. It doesn't mean that later he would only preach from the the scriptures that were, if you like, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. No, the good news 
This good news is the central subject, brothers and sisters, of the entire Bible, of all the New Testament. Which tells us that in this context, to preach the word, which is the charge that's given to Timothy, means to preach or teach the Bible. And to teach the Bible in the manner and with the method that Paul underlines here with great patience and careful instruction is to give God the microphone. It's to let God be the one who sets the agenda. It's to let God be the one whose voice is heard. It's to let God be the one who speaks. That is exactly what drives, if you like, the expository method of preaching. And to exposit or expound means simply to open. Actually, in the Greek, it means to open thoroughly. I like that. It's not just a little bit. Let me just open up for you. It is to open thoroughly, in depth with explanation and appeal to application. It's to make sure that Paul's encouragement here for Timothy is to make sure that amid all the pressures that Timothy will feel, he's to give God the microphone. It's to let God's mouth do the talking to the extent that we hear his voice, not the voice of men. Well, only when God's word is expounded can a person be said to be truly preaching. Now, I want to say, as part of this weekend, that the teaching of the Bible really cannot be taken for granted. And there are plenty of people who claim to be preaching, but who are actually failing to teach the Bible. Um, I could be one of them from week to week and encourage you to pray for us, me, and us as preachers, for those who preach from up here. There are those, though, who who point-blank refuse to open the Bible and to preach from it. These may be the kind of folks who have lost confidence in the Word of God. They don't believe in what we believe is the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. They prefer uh, tales from their own life as examples to draw kind of spiritual messages for a congregation. And these people who have lost confidence in the word of God and its authority and sufficiency are normally quite happy to say that kind of thing out loud. They would claim maybe to have liberal views and they don't really try to hide that. But there is, in my opinion, a more pernicious preacher to watch out for. One who reads the Bible and preaches a message from the Bible, but not in a way that truly preaches the word. Uh, David Helm, in his book, Expository Preaching, describes the two most common ways that a preacher can fail to preach the word, even when he holds it in his hands. The first kind of preacher who does this is what he calls the impressionistic preacher. In the 1850s, the dominant artistic method was realism. You, as an artist, you paint what's there. The aim was really to reproduce what could be mistaken for a photograph. But in the following years, the impressionistic method of painting emerged. And what an impressionist does is is he takes or she takes what the eye sees, interprets it, exaggerates some of it, ignores other parts of it, so ultimately distorts it, distorts the picture to some degree. And Helm argues that's what many preachers do with the word of God. He said they don't retain the realism of God's word, they exaggerate what they like, They omit what they don't like. And in the end, preach sermons that ultimately distort the truth. That's very dangerous. 
The other kind of preacher he warns us about is what he calls the inebriated preacher. Helm argues, some people use the Bible the way a drunk uses a lamppost, more for support than illumination. Now, how many preachers come with an idea of what they want to say, and maybe they use the Bible as a springboard or as even an encyclopedia of proof texts that are taken out of their context and useful really only for backing up the message that they ultimately want to deliver themselves. Such preachers, I would argue, do not give God the microphone. Now, by God's grace, the preachers from Charlotte Chapel's history have understood, I think, the solemnity of the Apostle Paul's charge to Timothy and taken it as their own. The solemnity of it is, as you notice in verse 1, He's making this charge for, he's he's reminding himself that he is in the presence of God and that Timothy will minister, of course, in the presence of God. The solemnity of it is also drawn into the fact that Jesus, the judge, is returning. Therefore, you must be careful as preachers to make sure you exercise this ministry with all care. For, as James reminds us, not many of us should presume to be teachers, for we we will be judged more strictly but even if you see if or even if you take the time that this building has been in operation from the days of joseph kemp until now the church has enjoyed this this steady stream of men who were utterly convinced of the authority and sufficiency of scripture and utterly convinced that anything apart from an expository bible teaching ministry where they set forth the truth plainly before a congregation would be unthinkable. So Joseph Kemp preached the words. One member wrote of his ministry saying, the pastor presents the truth of God in all its simplicity, preaches the gospel from the depths of his heart. No new fashioned themes are touched upon, but the words of the Bible are forcibly expounded. Praise God for that and the many who were built up and saved through that ministry. Uh, Graham Scoggy preached the words. One visitor wrote wrote an article in a Glasgow newspaper saying, defined Scroggy's preaching as the only worthwhile preaching, Bible truth, careful thinking, illuminating exposition. It was typical of his ministry. And the church benefited greatly from that. Said Lo Baxter preached the word. He said to his congregation, we approach the Bible as being in its totality, the word of God's. Uh, Gerald Griffiths preached the word. At his induction, he stood before the congregation and asserted that all of his preaching, he promised, would be based on the question, what saith the scriptures? Alan Redpath preached the word, expounding it with passion, never retreating from difficult texts, aiming always to equip the saints of Charlotte Chapel for evangelism. Derek Prime preached the word, Shortly after his arrival in Edinburgh, he publicly listed his priorities as a pastor. And amid all the duties that he would undertake, two took priority. One, the study of the scriptures, and two, the ministry of the word. Peter Granger preached the word, and in his book, Firm Foundations, he describes the task of preaching the word as something that must be done faithfully and seriously. And even today, Paul Rees preaches the word, reading and explaining the text to us, taking us through books of the Bible, never impressionistic, always clear, never inebriated, 
always faithful to the text. Please do not take that out of context. Uh, (laughs) That's really bad. By God's grace, do you see this though? Like, I think this is remarkable. We cannot take this for granted at all. Those who have led this church by preaching from the word, from the pulpit, have done so under the deep conviction of the solemn charge that Paul gave to Timothy to preach the word. Brothers and sisters, they gave God the microphone. And in a nation that has seen the church decline considerably, where training establishments have failed to help ministries teach the Bible, or else they've just taught them to prioritize other things, we ought to be very, very grateful to God. For God has been very gracious to us. But we have to pray that this continues into our new phase of ministry as we move to Shanwick Place. And we must persevere in this no matter what climate we find ourselves in. And that's part of the warning that Paul offers to Timothy, isn't it? Look with me at verse 2. When we've, we've, we've said, what is Timothy to preach? He's to preach the word. When has Timothy to preach it? All the time. In season. Out of season, he says. So do it when it feels right, Timothy. Do it when it feels hard. Do it when the sermon is coming quicker than you can type. Do it when you've got Saturday night fever for the eighth weekend in a row. Do it when your church is lapping it up. When they cry out like they did in Nehemiah's day. Bring out the book. And do it when people are falling asleep or moaning about the length of your sermons. Do it when preaching the word is cool. When you're invited to speak at preaching conferences and when you enjoy fraternity with other pastors in this city and who are all similarly convinced of the importance of this charge to preach the word. But do it when preaching the word is not cool. When fellow pastors are criticizing your methods as archaic even as their churches die a slow death. Paul tells Timothy, and therefore teaches us, that seasons change, but your primary task does not. Never. Preach the word, and never ever stop. Just keep on giving God the microphone, and with great patience and careful instruction, preach the word. And again, it struck me this week, that from the year that this church was planted until now, many churches in Edinburgh once boasted some of the greatest preachers this nation has seen. The likes of Candlish, the likes of White, have started and have faltered. And within a generation or two, that has happened. That's, that's scary for me. That within a pastorate or two, within 20 to 30 years... Numbers can decline, and in many cases, irreversibly so. The recent Barna study called Transforming Scotland seemed to suggest that the primary reason for that is a lack of faithfulness to this charge to preach the word, a lack of expository faithfulness. They said that 84% of churches in Scotland that were growing had as a primary tenet expository Bible teaching. Now, Christopher Anderson, our founder, uh, planted this church in 1808 with expository preaching as a core part of its DNA. During his ministry, it was said that the preacher preaches under felt responsibility and the people listen as those who had the deep privilege of such instruction. Now, may we be able to say that of our day 
and in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, by God's grace, until the Lord returns. So my encouragement for you in this respect is to pray for your pastors. And demand that they preach the whole counsel of God with faithful exposition. They labor on your behalf. I can safely say that they love it, but they find it very hard. It is, it is a big responsibility. And I'm glad you don't hear the kind of prayers that we pray immediately before we get up to preach. You just turn the microphone off for that, don't you? That doesn't get recorded anywhere. But it's, for me, it's often Psalm 51. I've memorized it for the purposes of praying it immediately before I stand up to preach. As a recognition of the fact that the only thing that qualifies me to do that is one, God's call and by his grace he's encouraged me to do it and given me gifts to do it as he does other preachers. So pray for us. Most pastors actually never really feel that they're very good at it. Um, encourage them to give time to the preaching of the word and don't let other even important church activities displace the preaching of the word from being the primary task it would not be right as we saw in Acts chapter 6 in our series for pastors to neglect the word of God and prayer and then whenever a pastoral vacancy arises ensure that a primary aspect of that consideration of a candidate would be expository Bible teaching. For that's how God leads his church. So previous pastors gave God the microphone. But may we, secondly, give God our ears. This is what reminds us, of course, that preaching is a two-way process. You need faithful preachers, but you also need, if you like, faithful listeners. And as we read verses 3 and 4... Paul is actually turning the spotlight on the listeners here. And we ought to realize that we can't take our attentiveness as a church for granted. It's another mark of God's grace that throughout the years of this ministry, uh, in, in this building, that God has granted you and the people before you ears to hear. That is a wonderful thing. Look with me at verse 4. Did you notice what some people do with their ears? It's a, it's a great illustration to use. They will turn their ears so they will turn their ears away from the truth and of course Jesus tells us what is true it is the spoken word of God sanctify them by the truth your word is truth now why would people turn their ears away from truth why do people do that well some do it because they want the gospel to be palatable in contemporary society they like to be liked in their cultural circles. And to them, the Bible might great with what they want to be true, even in today's world. So whether the subject is same-sex marriage or the atonement or the doctrine of hell, whatever it is, they'd rather turn their ears away from the Bible and towards a cultural creed. Or they turn their ears away to something that they've fabricated on their own, preferring their feelings as a guide for what is right and wrong to the word of God. I hope you see the error in that. Others turn their ears away from the truth because it brings conviction of sin. And they don't really like that either. Now we often think that behavior follows belief. But sometimes it can be the other way around. When you think about it, maybe I could start off believing some aspect of biblical teaching. But one day there's an opportunity to sin. 
and I commit that sin. And I don't like the feeling of guilt and shame that comes with that. So maybe with that moral compromise, instead of repenting of that sin, I try to find ways of kind of suppressing that guilt and shame without actually admitting it and confessing it before God. And I can try to find ways to justify it. I, can, I do that. I need, in order to do that, I need to just suppress the truth of God's words. And then if I keep doing that, it's funny how, ta-da, you know, what you believed on that particular issue has all of a sudden changed. That's that's dangerous, brothers and sisters. Oh, we now say, oh, I've changed my mind on that. I believe something different now. Now, if it just so happens that the preacher up front is biblical, then actually what the person in the pew will do, if they don't like what they're hearing, they'll get rid of it. And as verse 3 says, they'd rather get in a preacher who will say what their itching ears want to hear. So a people, a congregation can have ears that don't want the truth. They want to hear that everything's going to be okay and that sin used to be a sin in the olden days. But now, you know, we're more enlightened now. And don't worry, nobody's going to hell in the end. That's not true. Brothers and sisters, beware that kind of thinking. And heed the warning of Jesus. Tucked away in Luke chapter 8, as he says, take care how you listen. Take care how you listen. Read that passage this week at some point. Reflect on it. And I think here's why itching ears very quickly become deaf ears. And since faith comes by hearing, you might just miss out on salvation altogether. So eternity is at stake in this. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, I hope you see that the opposite of this makes it ultimately true that salvation is on offer for you. You don't need to see some blinding vision, you know, for God just to kind of appear or do some thing in front of you. God could have chosen to make salvation known to you in that way. He could have sent one of his angels to appear to you and declare that you need to have faith in him. It's okay, God is real. Believe, just believe. No, God has given you his word. He's revealed himself wonderfully in it. And Romans 10 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the message of Christ that our God is known primarily not by sight, but by sound. And by turning your ear away from the sinful lies of the world and turning your ears and your heart to the truth of God, you can be saved. I encourage you to do that. Pray a prayer of confession tonight. There'll be a team of people down here after the service who would be glad to pray a prayer like that with you or even talk about that with you. Maybe you could talk to the person that brought you. Reflect on these things. It's true. Well, we thank God that throughout the years, the people of Charlotte Chapel have done just this. They've given God their ears. And I think it's another mark of God's incredible grace to give the people in this church an appetite for the word of God. I don't know what kind of eater you are. Some people really pick at their food. You know, they only really eat what they fancy on their plate. But in this church, the the people have been like a teenage boy, you know, just constantly hungry. Uh, Do you want any more? Yes, please. And it's been a wonderful thing to see. And you don't, you know, the church hasn't enjoyed the kind of slim fast. You know slim fast? Um, I don't. Uh, 
But slim fast, the whole point of it, I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's like expanding foam that you use in your house, you know, to block up a hole. They kind of, you drink this stuff and it kind of expands in your stomach and just gives you the impression that you're really full. But that's really rubbish for you, um, according to my research. <laughs> but, you know, there's a big difference between a slim fast shake and a full-on Christmas dinner, right? Now, expository preaching aims, our aim, every week, every week is to lay up for you as far as we are able, according to the amazing, amazing grace of God, is to serve you up turkey and the trimmings, not slim fast. And this church, by God's grace, has, as far as we can see through its history, demanded the Christmas dinner and demanded seconds and pudding we cannot take that for granted it really I'm, I, I'm not kidding this is not a pat yourself on the back Charlotte Chapel this is God is unbelievably gracious to us so worship him let it fuel your hearts with utter adoration for him the fact that you're we're able to participate in this and have our souls fed is a wonderful thing To be a pastor in a church like this, to have people expect this, is a wonderful thing. God is very gracious to us. And again, it's been that way for a long time. Even back in 1908, one member said of Joseph Kemp, What are we to say of the pastor's faithful and earnest preaching of the word? Only this. It has not only increased our knowledge of the scriptures, but has furnished us and equipped us for the Christian life as nothing else could amen to that too true so please even as we move on to a new phase of ministry let's do all that we can as the church today to maintain that commitment to faithful listening turn your ears brothers and sisters to the truth week after week after week Christopher Ashe, in his book, uh, The Priority of Preaching, writes, The preacher is, of course, only half the church's activity. The, the assumption seems to be that whereas the preacher is really doing something, the people just kind of have a passive role, like jugs waiting to be filled. How wrong that assumption is. We submit to Christ by listening to his preachers. And we would hate it if our pastors preach without any preparation. But let's not hear it either without any preparation. So may, in this day, and in as many days as the Lord grants us in his kindness and his providence, may preachers in this church preach under felt responsibility of the solemn charge, preach the words, and may we as a church family listen as those who feel the deep privilege of such instruction. Amen. Let's pray together.